This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm Ken Tripp. I'm Haley Stoddart. And I am Zach Moore. And Section 31 was first introduced in the latter seasons of Deep Space Nine, but have since become an integral part of the Star Trek universe, to the point of being heavily featured in Enterprise, Discovery, and even Star Trek Into Darkness on the big screen. Uh, They're a shadow organization that seems to have become less and less clandestine with each appearance. Um, It has been established that Section 31 is a major player dating back to the founding of Starfleet. So we thought it'd be fun to look back on the missions of the original 1701 and see where we could retroactively apply Section 31's hands working behind the scenes. But guys, before we jump in, I I do want to ask you all, what what is your take on Section 31 and their incorporation into the Star Trek universe? Ken, let's start with you. You're starting with me? Oh, okay. I, I think I might have said this before. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't think it's it's Star Trek. Um, it bugs me. It's one of those things where, uh, you know, I, I do love Deep Space Nine, and I thought, you know, it was, in, at first, it seemed, you know, like a, kind of an odd thing to kind of pull in, and they weren't big. They, their profile wasn't big, and so I kind of just kind of wrote it off. But as time has gone on, it's gotten way out of control. It's it's not control. You like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It it really has. So, so for me, it's like yeah. I I mean, I'm not a, a you know a uh, I'm not naive that there are people working behind the scenes and that people are, are are you know need to do things from time to time that could be a little sneaky in order to preserve things. I, I get it. But in the Star Trek universe, with the threats around them, I, I understand. I I just felt that Starfleet had that well within their control. They didn't need to have like a, a CIA or a, a KGB or whatever in the background because they are more KGB than CIA in many in many ways. Mm. Um, that's that's just me. I am I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. I mean, it's it's okay, but it, it it doesn't rock my world much. Okay, Haley, where did you take? What's your take on Section Thirty One? Um. I'm kind of with Ken. I'm I'm not huge on it. Um, I guess in in some degrees I can understand why it would be there, why there would be this division that is covert, 
kind of the black ops kind of thing but then they take it and it's really twisted and rather than like working for the greater good they kind of tend to do more harm than good most of the time so i'm not huge on them uh, i love that people are excited about it i have friends that really like the whole section 31 storyline i'm excited for you for me it's just not a big deal i am not enthused by it Yes, for me, I enjoy the concept, and I think Deep Space Nine did it best. I mean, they did introduce them. They kind of they, they were just mm -hmm. a shadow organization. Mm -hmm. They came in. They did some shady stuff behind the scenes. They might have been more controlling in the past than we thought. I love that kind of implication. It's kind of X Files esque. Like you don't know what kind of hand these guys had and whatever was going on in the past. But at the same time, uh, you should have left them there because uh, I think it's cool to kind of pepper them in maybe, and that's what we're going to do here with TOS, right? But now you, you go to Enterprise, okay, they didn't mention they were part of Starfleet's charter, so okay, we're tying that together. But then you get to Star Trek Into Darkness, and it's like they have a giant ship. And <laughs> they have a whole... boy. Yeah, they did have a giant <laughs> ship. <laughs> that's How do you keep this hidden, right? Um, and then you get to Discovery, and it's like become the whole crux of the show now, apparently. Uh, because and now they're wearing name badges and everybody they have a fleet of ships <laughs> it's like okay guys i think we've gone a little it's like you know the uh, black ops u.s military right that you know whatever whatever kind of equate whatever you want to equate that in like the u.s military or or, or political structure they don't have a fleet of warships <laughs> you know just sitting around waiting to go attack somewhere i know it's different but if you want to transcribe that you know star trek navy whatever you want to do as has been done in the past that, that doesn't fly, so I, that would draw way too much attention to itself, and that's, that's, they've gone too, I agree with you guys, they've gone too far. I, I kind of, I, I was along with the, for the ride longer than y'all, but I do think it's gone too far. Now, that being said, let's have some fun and <laughs> wedge it into the original series. Now, there are, there are a few uh, missions that the original Enterprise went on that mm -hmm. we kind of flagged, and we said, you know what, this is kind of shady. This is not standard Starfleet procedure. Perhaps Section 31 had a hand in this and uh you know i was going through the episodes and actually there were they're, they're not that many but i think if you you know as we do in our head canon uh you you can kind of make it work and uh, one of the first ones i thought of was assignment earth that was the second season finale of the original series infamously the backdoor pilot that gene Roddenberry wanted to launch another show from that's why our, our crew doesn't really play that big of a role <laughs> in it right. uh, but you think about like Captain Zod, we're back in time observing history. And like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, they intentionally went back in time to go observe some history. Like, to me, that's a red flag. That's not a very Starfleet mission. You know, uh, as has been established in Discovery, Section 31 was very obsessed with time travel. They did some time travel experience. They were in a, dare I say, temporal Cold War with the Klingons for a bit. Because, you know, everybody knows those Klingon time crystals. A well-established fact in Star Trek canon. Um, <laughs> you can't resist. I know. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Worf didn't mention they had those on Borath when he went there in Next Generation. But anyway, um, you know, I, I think that this could be something. Like, I don't know what their objective might have been, but uh, maybe a test run to send a ship back in time to observe something. It, it was a very nonchalant form of time travel, and usually in the original series, it's like, oh, my God, we've gone back in time. So that is one that I flag. What do you guys think about this being potentially a Section 31 op? I can see it. It's definitely interesting. But so are you saying that Section 31 was using the Enterprise crew? And if so, were they aware they were being used by Section 31? Did they willingly choose to go back in time? Or did somehow Section 31 play a role in them going back in time? You see, with all these, I say that 
they unknowingly were doing Section 31 spinning. Uh, mm-hmm. because I mean, obviously that was not, you know, wasn't invented till the late nineties, the shows in the sixties. So in universe, whatever, right. Or outside of universe, whatever in universe, it could be argued that, you know, they use their, you know, backdoor orders and whatnot, certain key officers in certain positions to order people to do something. And, you know, following the chain of command, you know, they're like, okay, cool. I guess we're going to go back in time now. So I don't know what their objective would have been. It just might've been a try run to see if they can have like a controlled time travel uh, experiment as opposed to some crazy accident of like the warp drive implosion or going around the sun or some mysterious device they find on a planet, you know, because uh, we don't know. I mean, discovery is just a few years before TOS and they're still trying to figure it out. Uh, again, even though there's this planet of time crystals that no one seems to talk about, but I'll let that go now. Ken, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can let it go. <laughs> Keep trying, though. You know, maybe they have a uh, like a, an AA program for time crystals. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, uh, you, you, that makes me think of. Have you guys seen Napoleon Dynamite? Yes. All right. No. There's, okay, so there's the scene. There's a scene, Haley, where there's like this washed up old. Uh, high school football stars. It's Uncle Rico, right? Uh-huh. And he, he he orders <laughs> he orders this time uh, machine off like the internet or something, and they get it, and he's about they're about to flip the switch, and he says, "Wait, the crystals!" <laughs> and they put the <laughs> crystals in. <laughs> of course, it's a, it's a, it doesn't work, but that's when I when you say time crystals, I think of Napoleon Dynamite, and it makes me laugh every time. Wow. But anyway, I know where okay. that movie was filmed. I've driven right. through that town. That doesn't surprise me that it's in the Gamma Quadrant out there with you because it really does seem like the town that time forgot into playing Dynamite. No offense, of course. I it's had a, a small cor- place. <laughs> it's a small place, and I had a corpsman who was uh, in my unit from that town, and it explained him perfectly. As soon as I saw that movie, I then understood him very well. Uh, anyway, I, I, I It's not indicative of all of us. Let there me just put that out there. Yes. No, no, no. We, well, all we Idahoans are not like that. <laughs> you're, you're a transplant, right? I, uh, sort of, I guess. I mean, I was oh. born in Vegas, and then I was raised here, but I didn't live here for like you're, the first six months of my life. You're oh, from like that. You're from Iowa. You only work in outer space. Yeah, that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I like that. All right, so as far as this episode goes, it, it does feel like a um, Section 31 mi- mission. And, you know, there are parallels where you can have clandestine organizations or even those that aren't necessarily clandestine but control uh, or ask to um, utilize assets for certain missions. It happens all the time uh, today. Uh, early in my career in the Navy, I was a cryptologic technician, so I was doing all kinds of cryptographic stuff and whatnot. And a lot of the stuff that we gathered for intelligence went to NSA. So that's not a quote-unquote military organization. But they kept tabs on all these things. And sometimes they would ask us to do or check or do whatever, you know, even though I was part of the Navy. So I kind of get the connection there. And I thought that this episode kind of leads very well into it. Because if you look at what Gary Seven's mission was and what he was doing, I could understand why, okay, they're, they're trying to get into a certain point in time to understand how this guy... You know, or this entity. I guess he was a guy. Hmm. The cat wasn't. I, I get confused. <laughs> but, um, but obviously, you know, he he use he utilizes um, technology um, to to um, I guess to go beyond you know certain you know date times whatever uh, to to solve issues. And in fact, he's very much like a, a temporal section thirty one agent himself. In yeah. Theory. Uh, you know. Yeah, they, they they would definitely try to recruit him if they themselves came across him. I would think so. I would think so. And um, he didn't have a suit, but he still managed to get along. Yeah. Yeah, the black leather uh, costume, which they, they've worn their entire um, 
existence. It's funny how, how often Starfleet changes uniforms, but Section 31 is that, that black leather costume, that standard issue. Well, I was thinking of the, um, you know, the whatever it is, that, that, that space suit that allows them to travel, that Red Angel suit. Oh, there you go, so, yeah. Yeah, because mm. yeah, there was some kind of beam, right? I mean, he was he, he came in, there was, yeah. the ship detected it or whatnot, and he yeah. kind of came in a flash. So I was thinking there was, there was some kind of temporal vortex to use my uh, Star Trek uh, techno babble <laughs> language, that he was able to get back and forth on. So he had a different method of being able to travel, you know, interstellar, uh, interdimensional, I guess, or whatever. So it was just, it was, it was a very interesting premise, by the way. I'm not a big fan of time travel, but that was a, it was an interesting premise. It would have been an interesting show. It certainly had a, a cast that was, you know, became fairly well known as time went on. So uh, I, I know it didn't pick up, but. It was, it was it was an interesting concept, but I would say it's definitely something that you could see Section 31 saying, hey, could we use this asset for Starfleet to go check this out and send them on their way? Makes sense to me, you know, because that episode's really interesting. I mean, why was he back there in time to do all this stuff? And they didn't realize what was going on. So, yeah, I kind of I see it. All right, well, we'll close the book on Assignment Earth from now. Now, Haley, what's an episode that you kind of flagged? That could have been a session 31 op. So I'm going to say the changeling. What do you guys think about this? I mean, yes, we know that Nomad was created in our time, right? And and sent out. But who discovered it? Who found this? Who gave it its programming? If we're looking at, you know, what's going on with Discovery right now and Control taking over and, right, they send in that probe and it comes back looking like a space squid. <laughs> I'm wondering how much uh, Nomad could have been influenced by Section 31 and then just set loose on the galaxy. What do you well, guys think? In the episode, that they, they claim that it ran into an alien probe and that they kind yeah. of merged. But that is that always kind of has struck me as odd. Uh, like these two computers, like, you know, repairing each other and becoming one entity like that. Um, based off the AI experience that we've seen on Discovery with Section 31, I, I could maybe, maybe they found it and, and, and tweaked, tweaked with it a little bit. Uh, and then it took over and, and sterilized them and just went on its way. I, I, could, I could perhaps see that. That's not one that I had thought of, but good Or take. Section 31 could have made the probe that no, interacted with Nomad, right? Mm. And changed Nomad and made Nomad kind of a little more sentient and like... If you're not perfect being, I'm going to wipe you out. First of all, the probe's very angry for a name like Nomad, I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, that's something my, my friend used to say. Uh, you know, that happy in Italian is he's a nomad. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's just that kind of an afternoon. I, 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 I didn't really think about this episode, but I could see it because these things are kind of common in Star Trek. Uh, you know, you have M5. You know, you have people that create things. And it gets away from them. So mm -hmm. some of it could have been noble intent, you know, or creating, you know, how many times have we seen the ultimate weapon, but it's meant for mutually assured destruction so no one would ever do anything. And then the next thing you know, it's it's out of the cage or, you know, or a disease or, or whatever, you know, where you try to you try to come up with a device that will, and just like Doomsday Machine, it's something that will um, prohibit people from doing something wrong, uh, but then they lose they lose control of it. So you could stretch that, I think, uh, and say, could Section 31 have been behind uh, Nomad's programming? Did they get something wrong? Like you said, Zach, did they get sterilized um, you, you know, in the process, just kind of like when M5 took control of the computer and 
you know, poor Ensign Umpty Scratch got annihilated. So <laughs> these things happen. And, and so I, I, I guess I could see that they're, you know, the Enterprise is cleaning up a mess that they might have made. And we do know that Section 31 makes a lot of messes. Yes. It really does. Yeah, they do. Right? And Starfleet has to kind of come along as the, as the great savior uh, to, to, to fix things. So it's interesting to me. And, um, you know, I, I mean, a little stretch here, a little stretch there. I, I could see it, Haley. Thank you. So, sure. Ken, so, Ken, you mentioned the Doomsday Machine. That's when we kind of all collectively flag. You, you maybe want to talk about how a similar premise for Nomad would have worked for the Doomsday Machine. Yeah, I, I could see where um, if this thing was dormant someplace in space and they came across it or somebody came across it and they ordered Section 31 to um, to investigate, understand its technologies or whatnot, and um, you know they, they pushed the green button instead of the red button and the damn thing turned on and got away from them. And then, you know, as, as, as you kind of put out here, you know, reactivating and setting it loose on the galaxy. It, it, it could have happened. You know, it, it could have... You know, I, I could see Section 31. I could even see, you know, uh, how many times uh, did the original Enterprise crew, or even in the next generation, trip something they didn't intend to trip, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, you, you've, you've seen that before. Uh, you know, they, they go down to a planet, and boom, you know, they, they walk through a thing, they step on something, mm -hmm. whatever, and it activates. Um, this, this device could have easily have been activated and then you know the poor constellation comes across it, uh, along with all those uh, those poor folks that, that that perished on those planets wherever this this region was. I mean, the things uh, it, it, the premise of the show just kind of like the changeling. You got to kind of squint a little bit to make it all work, right? Because it was really really ancient and it seemed to have a path that it had followed. But um, it's it's more than possible. Well, I, I think that first of all they have plausible deniability because <laughs> they. For second thirty one, they turn around like, all right, let's go, get ready out, it's on. <laughs> you know, no one can hold them responsible for what happened. Also, I think about uh, the Star Trek Into Darkness. Right, you have Section thirty one like scouring the the galaxy for stuff they could use, and they come across Khan. Of course, that process was accelerated by Nero and the threat presented in the Kelvin timeline that wasn't in the Prime timeline. That's why they found Khan first. So you know, right. you, you could assume that they're just going about their business, and they find they find the Doomsday Machine, and they. They turn it on, and it goes about its business, and they get out of there. Uh, and it's probably far enough away from Earth at that point. We're like, well, we'll deal with it when it's closer to here. Maybe it'll take out some of our adversaries on its way here, and we'll figure out how to beat it uh, from there. Very, um, very Machiavellian thing to do, maybe, from, from their point of view. But, uh, yeah, the Doomsday Machine, I think I think that one, um, like you said, Ken, I think squinting and <laughs> rounding off some, some hard edges, you, you can make that one fit. Yeah, that's one I had, I had thought of initially as well because it's like – well, who did stumble upon this thing and somehow turn it back on and uh, send it on its way. So it seems that you could potentially... I could see it more with the Changeling than uh, Doomsday Machine, but definitely. Well, one, one, uh, the other element that could have been part of this is there might have been a reason to do that. So let's say these, this device was, was somewhere and there was a threat out there and they didn't want to start a war. So they tripped this device to take care of that threat, and they mm. probably figured, oh, we have a way to shut this off, and they didn't, mm. right? Or something went horribly wrong. So maybe they were trying to eliminate a threat to the Federation, and then it became a threat to the Federation because they couldn't control it. Right. Something like that. Yeah, I can see that. Sure. So another one that I had flagged would be Spectre of the Gun. And the reason that I 
this one caught my attention was I was looking for things that, that seemed out of the norm for the Enterprise's mm-hmm. mission, uh, much like a Simon Earth just randomly going back in time. Uh, Respecter of the Gun is they, they, they are insistent on communicating with the Malkotians. They're like, even though there's a warning buoy to stay away, they have said they don't want to talk to anybody. They're like, well, our orders are to go make contact by any means possible. It's like, what? why, why would they push that, right? And so I was thinking, obviously you have Discovery has shown us that Section 31 is knowledge of Talos 4. Talos 4 is a death penalty because of the illusions and all those powers there. Uh, they're like, all right, well, we can't go back there. That that one's kind of blown wide open at this point because we've gone back there, Spock, the Menagerie, all those incidents. Let's leave those guys alone. Uh, but there's this other race over here we have heard some rumors about. Let's go talk to them because the Malkotians are very similar to the Talosians uh, as, as far as their their you know perfect projection of illusion right because you know kirk spock uh scotty mccoy and Chekhov all during the old west uh there are some gaps like walls and <laughs> things of that nature because hey it's a creative way to hide the fact we don't have a budget but um other than that though they really do recreate uh something out of kirk's memory uh mm-hmm. to great detail and so that might be a, a race they wanted to encounter see if they could either negotiate or take if it was some kind of technology you know, that's kind of that. That's where my mind was going with thinking, like, all right, but let's order this ship to go there, and we'll we'll make sure they have to communicate with them because all of our other avenues have failed. Uh, just the fact that they were just really pushy about the <laughs> about the contact is what uh, raised a red flag for me. Well, it makes sense to me because the um, the prime directive: if somebody wants to be left alone, you leave them alone, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, you you don't interfere, you don't bother them, you don't you don't do those things. And so you're right; just the very mission itself, the arrogance in it didn't seem very um star trek it didn't seem very federation like so it was it was kind of a weird circumstance so i i don't think i would that would have popped in my head but the way you worded it the way you described it it makes sense to me you know it's like well wait a minute you know why why would you bother a race of folks that are telling you no we're not interested (laughs) we are not interested It, it doesn't make any sense so i think in order to assess whether this um this species or whatever that, that wants to be kind of um, alienated, for lack of a better term, um, it poses a threat. You send a ship to go look because, you know, as we know, we have 7,000 ships now. So um, what's, what's, what's one, right? <laughs> Just go check it out. So, yeah, I didn't think of this one either. And in the way you put it, that does make sense. Um, would you say that someone on board the enterprise is the one kind of helping push this because or was it just someone claiming to be from quote-unquote starfleet yeah i mean i i would no claim needed i would just say you know there's there are people in starfleet that are section 31 agents they might not be wearing their black com badges anymore (laughs) they have that (laughs) 24th century technology what the hell kind of com badge is that uh as pike asks uh, tyler in discovery but you know, kind of like a, I think of there's like Admiral Pressman types from Next Gen, not to jump over the wall there. But he, the Pegasus yeah. is an episode. I was like, mm-hmm. absolutely, that guy was part of Section Thirty One. You know, uh, might have been. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, like so, so guys like that. They're he's like, I have friends in Starfleet intelligence and Starfleet command, and so he's a he's more of like a a, a, a placed figure. Like he's like, okay, hey, your job is going to have a legitimate position, and we're going to work in the shadows and that kind of stuff. So in my mind, there are these admirals that you know the Commodores, whatever you want to call them that are given the Enterprise mm-hmm. orders, that have connections, that, 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 that their intentions are to enforce the, the will and wishes of Section 31. So I don't, I don't think there's any Section 31 agents on the Enterprise or anything like that. I think they're just, just following orders. And these orders, although kind of like are kind of 
you know, questionable. They, the Enterprise, you know, at this point in TOS, Kirk's pretty good about following orders. So, <laughs> Yeah, at this point he is, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. Very interesting. Now, Haley, uh, you had flagged Journey to Babel, which is a very interesting take because political espionage is afoot there. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. So, okay, we know that they discover the Orions are found to be behind the assassination, but I posit that Section 31 could have been behind the Orions because they knew the Orions would be the only people that could carry out this assassination, right? Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's where my thought went. What do you guys think? What about you, Ken? Yeah, I do. I, I, that, that's, a, again, you know, I love the imagination here because in, in anything that involves political intrigue and assassinations, you know, a lot of times the agents are not directly involved in any of it. They they hire the folks, they they persuade the folks, they blackmail the folks into doing things all the time. And so, uh, it, it, you know, it's hard to say what would have been gained from that. But, um, you know, you, you could you could look at a couple of other episodes with that kind of mindset, too. You know, um, Omega Glory, things like that, you know, where, where there's could be things even happening behind the scenes we're not even sure about. Um, bad programs that have gotten away from them. But, you know, that episode is probably one of the better ones where you could say Section 31 is behind there somewhere, manipulating things, um, you know, because everything was going down and, and the, obviously the crew of the Enterprise were, were wholly unaware of what was about to happen or how serious this whole thing was. So, yeah, I think that's a great call-out. Yeah, I think that's having a third-party uh, to to do the dirty work, right? It's classic mm-hmm. uh, maneuvering there, and uh, and this is you know, this is this is a classic uh, section thirty one because you know D Space Nine they they kind of do this stuff with the Romulans, yeah, and on Discovery they're definitely doing it with the Klingons. They pretty much are, are, are helping prop up the Klingon Chancellor and the whole Klingon government. Uh, mm-hmm. So so this is not this is not beyond their. This is actually exactly what they do. Like of, of all the things we're talking about, this is probably the most uh, spot mm-hmm. on section thirty one. So great call there. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Now there's a big one here uh, that they actually wrote a novel about it, so I'll, I'll fill that in after we discuss a little bit. But Ooh. the Enterprise incident, right? This is this is the big one to me. Like if you think about, hey, what if Section Thirty One was in the original series? This is the episode that I thought about. And I think most people think about. So, Ken, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Well, okay, <laughs> I think that uh, you know. There was, there's few times where the Federation is seen as the bad guy, right? Um, and, and usually they're going, to, they're going on missions that are humanitarian in nature or, you know, to, to thwart a threat, something along those lines, or just to do general ex- exploration. And this, this was probably the most um, covert, um, you know, uh, bait and switch that, that um, you see in Star Trek. In fact, I can't even think of other, in other series where they kind of get this this bad, <laughs> where they actually go um, deliberately, you know, set it up so that they have plausible deniability with a crazy captain, all to steal a technology they, they deem a huge threat to the Federation. And um, to me, that is Section 31, uh, six ways to, to, to Sunday, in my opinion. This 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 is um, this is this is the Federation being devious, and um, I also thought it was something that you know when when it aired. I remember watching Star Trek, you know, as a kid or whatever. When it aired, I was like, oh wow, you know, it's we're not the good guys uh, in this episode. We're we're the bad guys. Now I, you could argue that the Romulans and Klingons are are not nice 
nice, nice uh, species, and they pose a threat to the Federation. I do get it. But still, um, you know, they invaded their territory, their space, took their technology, and ran off with it. That's, um, that's pretty devious. Yeah, it's really the most Mission Impossible-esque episode of Star Trek, and, and really that's what Section 31 is. They're the, they're the, they're the impossible mission force. They are the IMF of, of Starfleet. And, yeah. uh, and you know, if, if we end up getting that Section 31 series, which has been rumored, uh, that's probably what we'll end up being. And, uh, yeah, I mean, having having Kirk just go completely just act without, you know, like you said, plausible deniability, right? He's acting outside of orders. Like, Spock's really the only one who knows what's going on. So if everything goes bad, they can be disavowed, and, and none of the crew of the Enterprise will be held accountable for their actions. Because, yeah, it's pretty hardcore. This is, the you know, espionage on a, on a galactic scale. Um, and, yeah, really an act of war <laughs> from, from, yeah. from the Federation here. Yeah, so, Haley, you saw this fairly recently compared to the two of us. Um, I'm wondering, did, did you see it coming? Because I'm trying to remember, I, I, it's been too long if I actually figured it out before it got there, but I didn't. I was wondering if you had. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I'm usually pretty good about figuring things out, but sometimes something catches me off, and, and it's it's kind of nice to be surprised and, and not exactly sure what's going on. So this episode definitely was... Um, and I can exactly see what you guys are saying because this episode is intense, and and everybody, you're just like, why? But but this isn't what they do. Like mm. this is not. It is. It's very much extremely covert and really out of the box for the crew and for Star Trek. I think so. I definitely would see Section Thirty One in this episode for sure. Yeah, I, I think one of the premises that, that bugged me about this episode in particular was the way Spock was utilized, right? He mm -hmm. was manipulating uh, the Romulan commander. And, you know, and it, and it was it was so it was covert, but at the same time, so overt, mm. you know, so you hear the speeches all the time, right? And, and some of it's a little over the top. And I, I it's starting to get, you know, almost pompous. But you know, I'm a Starfleet officer. We believe in this, 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 and this, and we don't do this, this, and this. And, you know, here you had Spock do you know, play mind games with this this Romulan commander. And there's a lot of tropes involved in those mind games, too. Usually it's the other way around, to mm -hmm. be honest with you. Um, but it's, it's the way it was. And then, you know, he makes his statement. And in his statement, you know, he's essentially saying, as a Starfleet officer, it's my duty to do that. And I was like, wow. Um, it's it's just a um, it, it's just the opposite um, of of the Star Trek that came before it and after it. It's just mm. it's just like one of those 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 odd things. A great episode, by the way. Yeah, I loved it. That's the thing, right? I loved it's, it. Yeah. Like Ed, this I, I episode's like, on top damn. of like yeah. everyone's favorite list, and but it's so off the beaten path, and maybe that's why we all gravitate towards it because it's something fresh and new. It's so different. Yeah, it, it really mm -hmm. is. But it's it's it just says okay, you know the. It, it it does show us that it does show that the Federation wasn't a bunch of doves either, hmm. um, that you know that believed in giving people uh, a leg up in technology and put their survival at risk was a smart thing, uh, which is something I always struggled with the TNG piece of it to be honest with you, but you know that, that at least you know it's like hey this is a clear and present danger we need to do something, and um, it was really well done but yeah if. If uh, Section Thirty One wasn't all over this mission, then 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 you know I, I would I would have a hard time thinking that fe the Federation folks would probably be pushing it. You know, Admiral Cartwright himself probably. 
Um, you know, Commodore Cartwright at this point, right? <laughs> Commodore Cartwright, yeah, at this point. But yeah, you know, you could you could see that happening. But yeah, definitely Section Thirty One. Well, and then also, you know, you see in Discovery how uh, Georgiou is disguised as a Klingon and to co- uh, carry out her mission, and Kirk disguises Romulan here, carry out his mm-hmm. mission. So that you have that through line as well. Uh, now, I did mention uh, a novel that was that was spun out of this idea. And in the early 2000s, there was a, there was a sub-series or a mini-series of novels uh, about Section 31, one for each uh, show at the time. So there's one for Star Trek, original series, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. Enterprise had yet mm. to premiere. Uh, so this one was called Cloak, and it was by S.D. Perry. And I'm just going to read the synopsis they have on the book here uh, see if this piques anyone's interest. Quote, They are the self-appointed protectors of the Federation, amoral, shrouded in secrecy, answerable to no one. Section 31 is the mysterious Covert Operations Division of Starfleet, a rogue shadow group committed to safeguarding the Federation at any cost. So that's the first paragraph. I assume that's on all the books. And here's here is the one specific to the TOS one called Cloak. Mm-hmm. Quote, Once, in order to preserve the galaxy's fragile balance of power, Captain James T. Kirk carried out a dangerous mission to capture a cloaking device from the Romulan Star Empire. Months later, while investigating a mysterious disaster aboard a Federation starship, Kirk discovers that the same technology he obtained for the sake of peace is being put to sinister, sinister, being put to sinister purposes. Ooh. What the crew of the Enterprise uncovers will send shockwaves through the quadrant as Section 31 sets in motion a plan that could bring the major powers of the galaxy to their knees. So, there you have it. No, I, it looks very interesting. You know, I'm, I haven't read a Star Trek novel in a while, but I'll have to check it out. So, Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's uh, you could easily see how this one would be the one they pull into this. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. Now, uh, I have a movie to mention, but before we get there, does anyone have any other episodes or any thoughts on the original series proper before we move on? I think uh, yeah. this is a pretty good list. What do you think, Haley? I I don't have anything else. I was looking through to see if anything else stood out to me, but there wasn't anything else that I could kind of say. Okay, that could be Section Thirty One. Good. I, I'm proud. I'm proud to say the original series stayed <laughs> true to Starfleet's morals and values because at, we're Starfleet. We don't lie. To quote Wesley Crusher. So, uh, <laughs> as I often do, <laughs> quote Wesley Crusher. So moving on. Uh, Star Trek Six. All you ever learned about life, you learned from Wesley Crusher. Yes, exactly. Is that is that going to be your book? That's 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 the uh, title of my autobiography. That's right, Ken. So I like it. You heard like it here it. first. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the the back cover is going to be me in the sweater, uh, of Wesley's sweater. That's that's <laughs> going to be the picture of the author in the back. So, okay. But moving on to the movie era, I think the big one here would be Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Uh, you mentioned Admiral Cartwright. I mean, whenever they bring up Section 31 and, and, and you think about, well, in the, in the past of, Star, of Starfleet and Star Trek, I immediately gravitate to Star Trek VI and uh, Admiral Cartwright and all his guys, his organization, working with other governments to bring down their own. Just a, just a high espionage on the galactic scale again. And to me, that's a Section 31. I, I have no doubt that he was a member of Section 31. Oh, mm. I, yeah, that's it's it's a great call out. Um, both sides conspiring with each other. Um, the president not in the know. Uh, the enterprise being used as fodder, you know, for for all of this because Starfleet personnel were aware. I mean, you have to assume that um, Valeris was Section Thirty One. Mm-hmm. All of it makes sense. You know, um, the, the the two guys that actually carry out the assassinations were they being used? Were they actual agents? I think they were probably being used because they were. You know, pretty uh, low easy level. to manipulate. Yeah, low level guys. Yeah. 
Yeah, low-level guys. You know, it's just kind of the um, the cannon fodder and all of that. So yeah, I I I would say that um, you know the Enterprise incident and Star Trek VI kind of marry up very very well. Um, you know, because the thing that's really interesting is is you know the civilian government and most of Starfleet are trying to do the right thing, uh, but they're fighting their themselves, and that's that's exactly what you see with Section Thirty One so many times. You know, there's a lot of moral um, upheaval. There's a lot of arguing. Um, there's a lot of distrust between that, you know, between them and the uh, the organization holistically. So I think, yeah, it's a, it's a good movie to point out that there's probably a lot of Section Thirty One going on here. Yeah, I I can agree, and definitely Valeris was was Section Thirty One. Uh, whether and I would posit that even a willing participant, I don't think that the assassins were i think they definitely were being manipulated but i think valeris was in the know um yeah she'd be the point the point person on the enterprise but everyone yeah she had just normal joes do her dirty work for her and then you up the food chain you have colonel west and then admiral cartwright i'd say as well yeah so it's really interesting and i i like that we can sit here and speculate that section 31 was involved in some of this without actually seeing any section 31 you can say yeah yeah i can see it i can see it but then there really wasn't and that was kind of nice and that's what in this premise of section 31 is what i like is that they're there and maybe they're manipulating these things maybe they're not but you don't really know as to where in discovery and ds9 it's like boom we're in your face well yeah valeris was not wearing a a black uh (laughs) turtleneck or (laughs) arm badge or you know <laughs> rank strip or anything and and or right. say that she was section 31 yeah. or, or something like that this should explain things let me show you my com badge but uh i uh, section 31 they're like special effects right if, if they work you don't even know they're there right so a good mm-hmm. special effect is mm-hmm. you can't tell it's there section 31 doing a good clean op means you never know they were involved to begin with and I think that's the mistake that some of the, the more recent uh, – uh, but I, I understand the appeal. I understand why they want to keep bringing it back because it makes it people's criticism of Star Trek. Oh, it's too clean. It's this utopian future. I would argue that's the appeal, but you know, that's another conversation. But to make it more real-world relatable, quote-unquote, whatever that means, they insert these kinds of concepts and kind of kind of blow them up a little too much. Uh, because, again, every – look at this. Every, in, every iteration of Star Trek, the past three, Enterprise – the Kelvin movies and Discovery, Section Thirty One has been there, and uh, you know I, I'm good. I'm good if we have a break from Section Thirty One for a while, but unfortunately, it doesn't look like because we're going to get an entire show about that. So I think that's a little overkill, in my opinion. So, I, 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 the one thing that's interesting to me, though, is for all of us that are Star Trek fans that that really enjoy the premise of the show, and we saw you know the Enterprise incident, or we saw the Pegasus mm-hmm. in in TNG, that. Um, you know, that to me, they, they talked about Starfleet intelligence, right? So there was, at least there's an acknowledgement that there's an organization within Starfleet that's monitoring and doing things, and if, if necessary, sometimes goes on covert op. And that, that exists in the military today. The CIA, uh, NSA, DIA, all those different groups, um, the one thing that's different about them is that they are um, managed, and they're not rogue. Um, there are laws that govern their behavior. You know, the United States does not sanction the assassinations of, like, world leaders and stuff just to go and do it. There was a time when the CIA was out of control, and then they actually said, we got to put rules in place to make sure that mm-hmm. they, they work within a limit. 
And that's different from drone strikes and all that other stuff. And that's a whole different bucket. Right. Uh, you know, that goes right up to the president, to be honest with you. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, these things aren't happening behind the curtain. But in Starfleet, it's amazing to me that so many things are happening behind the curtain. And if you take Star Trek VI, the president himself, the, you know, the council president, he doesn't know any of this. He, he was threatened to be assassinated, and they were willing to let him be taken down because of this in order to keep the, um, the status quo, in order to keep the tensions high, in order to keep the military-industrial complex operating. They were willing to watch the president get killed. That's amazing to me, right? Um, so Section 31, it, you think about Star Trek's future, it doesn't seem right at all that they are as rogue as they are and have the power that they have because, you know, other than in some, you know, other countries, you know, around the globe where they might have these clandestine, you know, the Mossad or whatever that could go and assassinate world leaders and stuff, maybe or maybe not without the president knowing, um, Section 31 has an awful lot of room to, to, to operate, and um, it's, it's really kind of scary in the Star Trek future that they exist with z pretty much zero limitations. It's cra I mean, even in um, Into Darkness, I mean, they were willing to start a war with the Klingons, you know, millions of people, all these other things happening behind the shadows. And nobody having control of it. That to me is that is not Star Trek, and that's why I think I really struggle with Section Thirty One. Well, and it's almost as if they're they operate not only above Starfleet, but it's 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 almost like Starfleet allows them to operate above them. Like no one is in control exactly of right. Section Thirty One, which is really incredibly dangerous. That you have this group that says hey we want to do this because we think it's right not that it is right but we think it's right and we think it's what's best for the entire galaxy and no one can tell them that they shouldn't do it they don't have to report to anybody and that's really scary and definitely not i don't think what starfleet is or should be if we ever get there yeah no oversight no matter what you're Occupation is, is always dangerous, but these guys, I mean, they're doing some dangerous stuff with no one to answer to, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, everybody loves a good conspiracy theory, so you think about, you know, think about Star Trek Six mm -hmm. and the assassination stuff, and then you think about the real world, like, oh, the Kennedy stuff, and all, you know, the, that all kind of ties together, and it's it's interesting, but you want to think, you know, in this evolved future, right, that we're, we're, we're beyond that kind of thing, at least, at least sanctioning it officially, and even sanctioning it by, like, just turning the other turning away like knowing like knowingly just letting them do whatever they want like you were saying Haley. like in the other direction yeah because like well somebody used to do this and we, we like we really can't but please go ahead clean up our mess for us and, and do things we need to without being held accountable so yeah well I, and i want you know whether it was oss originally or cia they did get out of control and so they brought them back into control right and that that's really the difference so there was a time where they were very much like section 31 <laughs> doing their own things and um and where it got sanctioned somewhere in the government is kind of one of those things where you're, you're really not sure. And that's how Section 31 operates. So it's like who sanctions, uh, you know, they, they, when, when the admiral stepped in and gave him an order, they would follow it, though. I mean, I, I, that was happening. So they did recognize um, position and authority. Mm -hmm. And you had that group of whatever it was, three or four admirals there. But usually something like that, clandestines, whatever, that's, that's not usually in the military. That's usually, you know, civilian run and operated and, you know, more like what you saw in Star Trek VI. So it's just, it's just interesting to me that, um, 
that they've created this organization within the Federation, right? Because it's Starfleet is one thing, and Section 31 is completely another thing. They're, they are not the same. They are not aligned. They, are, they don't have the same mission, but it's part of the Federation. And that would be, to me, fascinating to figure out just actually how does that hierarchy work and, and who does has the oversight and who makes the, the, the suggestions or the solutions or the orders. It's, it, to me, it seems pretty rogue. You know, like they have their own little base hmm. cr- surrounded by mines and do what they want. <laughs> <laughs> so. all right. well, 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 we'll all find out the answers to those questions in Star Trek Section 31 coming to CBS All Access soon. Yeah, yeah, it'll be really interesting. So I'm going to I'm going to throw something in here kind of crazy because this is it's way off topic, so to speak. But uh, I as we're sitting here chatting, this makes me think of one of my favorite movies, Hot Fuzz. And if anybody has not seen it, basically the higher ups in town are in on this whole thing where they're working for the greater good. And and they get to the point where yeah it started out as something wonderful which section 31 could have started out as something to help facilitate prevent things that necessarily starfleet wasn't fully capable of doing because we've known section 31 always has way more advanced tech than everybody else in starfleet for some reason um and then somewhere along the way they lose where they're supposed to be at and they start going off a little bit. So in Hot Fuzz, we see the um, head of the police department. We see shop owners. We even see the priest of the church. And if someone's doing something that they don't like to keep their town clean and keep things going, they kill them. And this has been going on for decades. And and. Simon Pegg's character comes in and realizes what's going on, and and he's kind of questioning their like greater good, the greater good uh, mentality that these people have, and they all wear black cloaks with hoods on and sit in the dark with flashlights and stuff, and and so I wonder if Section Thirty One maybe the basic premise when it started was kind of a good thing and for the greater good of not only the Federation but the galaxy. And then somewhere along the way, it just slowly got perverted and lost track of where it's supposed to be and is where we see it now. Hmm. Interesting. Have you guys seen the Star Chamber? No, what is that? That I, w- I, I was trying to remember the name of it, so I just looked it up as, as you were talking, Hilly, because it, it was interesting to me. So the Star Chamber is essentially uh, Hal Holbrook was in it, and what it is, it's, it's a group of judges that get together in this chamber and they go through cases where people got off from technicalities but they were actually guilty mm. and then the group of them go through all the evidence or whatever and they decide whether or not that person should be killed or not and then oh. they they hire somebody to take it out. it's really a cool premise it's, it's kind of like a, an organ an organized form of vigilante justice huh? it, it is and it's done in, in such a way that you know you you actually went in the beginning of the movie and you see how things are doing you're going oh that would be you know uh, kind of a cool thing right because we know that that bad people get off because you know oh, the police didn't get a search warrant but they found the weapon they know he's guilty but you can't admit it in court da, 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 it's out and so you know obviously i think if i remember correctly it's been a while since i've seen it they actually sentenced somebody that was technically innocent and so it becomes a, a big battle to save that person oh. but it's um it's 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 just a great premise and um it fascinating and, and when you were mentioning and describing hot fuzz that's that was came to mind i was like oh what's the name of that film <laughs> and it's you know all of these different things you know you could see 
a group of people between the civilian and military aspects of the Federation kind of having this chamber that, that manipulates, orders, and operates Section 31. Uh, kind of like the whole hot fuzz scenario where people at the top think they know what's best for folks. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we need Simon Pegg to be an executive producer on the Section 31 show. That would make sense <laughs> to me. Based on what you said, Haley. So. Yeah. That would be awesome, yep. Oh, boy. Well, all right. Well, before we go, we have a special announcement from Standard Up Here. Only Haley Stoddard will be on a Star Trek panel at an upcoming comic convention. Why don't you tell us about it, Haley? Yeah. So, listeners, if you, like me, are stuck in the Gamma Quadrant or travel to the Gamma Quadrant periodically, you can uh, come and sit in and listen as myself, Brandy from Warp 5, and uh, Live from the Edge, and Zachary Fruling from Mala, uh, both To the Journey and Metatrex, are going to be doing a panel at the Fanex convention in Salt Lake, which is April 19th and 20th, uh, talking about Season 2 of Discovery. So it's going to be really exciting. Uh, nerve-wracking a little bit uh but i'm trying to remember that this is basically just podcasting but with a live audience mm-hmm. instead <laughs> and the well, panel is going to be uh the 20th of april great I, I expect you to bring up time crystals Haley. we i i'm sure they will be a topic of uh interest for sure <laughs> well it's it's really exciting so you're going to be there all weekend though correct yes yeah so uh i will be there both days the 19th and the 20th wandering around checking stuff out uh, i'm excited so i was planning on going anyway and uh and then on the 20th we've got our panel and it's gonna be really exciting all right so if they if they see um a young lady wearing a standard orbit T-shirt. The odds are it's you. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yes. So go and meet Haley Stoddard in uh, Salt Lake, you said? Yep, Salt Lake City, Utah. Salt Lake City, Utah. And, um, you know, say hello and, and, and say good things and, you know, introduce yourself. And, of course, we're always trying to recruit new listeners, too. So I think it'll be fun. And um, I know Zach and I are pretty thrilled that we have somebody uh, on a – on a panel representing this fine podcast. I know you do a couple others, but this is, you know, the key one. Yes. Yeah, and that's definitely the case. If, if you see me wandering around, I even have purple hair now, uh, so I'm pretty easy to spot. <laughs> you do? I do, yep. It's, it's hard to see, but it's, it's, it's underneath all the blonde. There's, there's purple hair there oh. and uh you know i'm easy to spot because of my trek tattoos so yeah i was gonna say the, the, the trick tattoos is the big giveaway for you so yeah it is and granted you can only see the ones on my arms but they're there so <laughs> definitely walk up to me if you are there listeners and say hello i i'm a big hugger and i love meeting new people so it's really awesome and fun cool well, there you go so when did you do the purple thing uh, a few weeks ago oh okay so after you knew you were going to be on the panel huh <laughs> no, I've been wanting to do purple in my hair again for a long time. I had purple in my I hair don't know. years there's ago. This, this, I don't know. There's this weird thing with you and Amy going on, you know, with her <laughs> as the queen and you taking over. Purple means royalty. I see where this is exact. I, I, I don't know, man. We're going to have to do something here. Our days are numbered, Ken. I, I think so. <laughs> She's slowly taking over. Um, no. We'll see. We'll see. Well, yeah, we, okay. we, we look forward to uh, you appearing there, of course, Haley, and then you'll kind of bring back some boots on the ground report from the field uh for the following week after that so and hopefully we can get the panel uh, recorded and share with you all of our listeners out there as well 
Definitely. But Section 31 is the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Literary Treks. Like you said, some of the recent novels have gone with Commander Una, uh, which is, if I'm remembering correctly, they explain a name she's kind of adopted because she got tired of people just calling her number one or something like that. But it's still referring to this backstory of her being the best of the best, being perfect from Illyria, which is a planet that embraces uh, genetic manipulation, I think, and, and, you know, that sort of thing and, and breeding for the absolute best. And she was number one in her generation or something like that. Melodic Treks. So, but after I watched Star Trek Voyager, uh, and, you know, I was aware of the existence of the uh, mini Moog Voyager. Uh, I mean, it didn't take me long to just like, oh, it would be cool one day, like if I could acquire the, the synth, you know, like the first thing I do with it is redo the Star Trek Voyager theme with it. Then wouldn't that be fun? You know, the Star Trek Voyager theme we've performed by the mini Moog Voyager, right? <laughs> Warp 5. So I'm going to go to Sleeping Dogs for my next next episode here. Now, at this point in Star Trek, I'm really tired of the Klingons, and I was on my original watch of Enterprise, and I still am. I'm really, really tired of the Klingons. So, did I say the right episode? Sleeping Dogs, I said, right? Yes. You're just looking at me funny here. I'm like, did I say Shadows of Pajama? <laughs> no, 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 you said Sleeping Dogs. <laughs> okay, good. So... The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. She is with a fake him, and but she even says, "Well, it's you, but it's really only my memory of you." Right. Like, that line is heartbreaking. Yeah. I'm not the sappiest person on the planet by any stretch of the imagination. Anyone who has heard me talk for months on this network knows that. But this is heartbreaking stuff. Yeah. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at Trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are 
Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time, or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. Yes, and use the hashtag TrekTuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.